get uh, our class. George Dossett, you taking them out tonight? You like this weather, George? I'm so thankful for this weather. You may be a true Texan, and I've been here since I was five years old, but I like it when it gets cooler out. The older I get, the more I think I'll do a summer church in San Diego and come back here. No, I'm just kidding. George, take your class. God bless Finding the Rock. Give them a hand as they go. We're headed towards graduation. And how many of you have been reading along with me in Philippians? I hope I see some hands. Now, I appreciate you not lying about it. How many of you have been reading through Philippians with me? Okay, the rest of you, let me just encourage you to do it. And I shared with you last week. How many of you believe the Lord wants this word to speak to you? He really wants it to talk to you. And so the only way that's going to happen is what you feed grows and what you starve dies. Have you ever noticed that? What you feed grows and what you starve dies. And so when you, the more you read the Word, the more you want to. Now, never read it without a pen, without something to write with. Highlight it, mark it, date the verses. When, when, when something stands out to you, mark it and then put a date next to it and then make a little note of what it said to you. And try that daily. And if you don't know where to read, well, we're going to finish the whole chapter of uh, Philippians 3 tonight. We'll be in chapter 4 next week. Um, so read ahead. To, through chapter 4. It's all about worry, how to, how to not worry, how to, how to experience God's peace. I know none of you ever worry, but still it's a neat thing to read. We're going to have to wake up tonight. Let, let's stand together and we're going to pray and then we're going to be seated. I'm going I'm to do the whole chapter tonight. We're going to get through chapter 3. It's really, really good stuff. How many of you love the Lord and you love His Word? Isn't his word good? All right, let's go to it and let's look at the first. All right, we saw last time that the kind of character we're to esteem in the church is this kind of character. Read these with me quickly. Character that has been proven, resulting in trustworthiness. Unselfish character and those who have a natural care for God's people. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and we pray that you will grow us up in the things of God. That, Lord, no matter what's happening in our world, our country, you know, what's, or what's happening around us, that, Lord, the Spirit of God we know is working in us and energizing us to will and to do God's will. So, Lord, speak to us tonight. Now, breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, talk to my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. God bless you. Now, I'm just going to go back because I want us to look at this. The Bible has all kinds of things to say about character. And how many believe character is important in every walk of life? You know, character matters in every arena of life. God's all about character. We are all people under construction. We're going to see that tonight. We're under construction. Uh, We're in a divine building project, every one of us on the inside. Spirit of God has come to live inside of us. And what has he come to do? To produce character, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. All of those are character qualities. That's character. That is God infiltrating your personality. That is God changing you on the inside. And that's what God is all about. That's what Christianity 
That's one of the major functions of Christianity in your life. It is to build character into you. So you walk with the Lord, and He's going to build character in you no matter what. Amen? Now, when you look at these character qualities, character that's been proven over time and in testing, resulting in trustworthiness, all right? Unselfish character. Paul said about Timothy, I've got nobody like him who's going to naturally care for you. That means unselfish. We live in a selfish world. It takes the cross in your life and mine to make us unselfish. And that's the work of God. And it's not easy. And it hurts. When God is teaching you unselfishness, it hurts. It's not easy. It's not easy being unselfish. All right? Then those who have a natural care for God's people. Listen, if you walk with the Lord long enough, that's going to start happening to you. You're going to start having a natural care for people. You won't have to work it up. You won't have to try to make yourself be that way. But you'll have a natural care. Now, I want you to notice what's not in the list that we are to admire or things that we are to give our loyalty to or to trust in leadership. Charisma, talent, physical attractiveness. These are all things that our culture celebrates and that our culture rewards. But God doesn't reward those things. God gives those things, but that is not what brings the blessing of God on your life. Character brings the blessing of God on your life. Obedience brings the blessing of God on your life. And you know, one of the sad things is a lot of the time, the church rewards charisma and talent and physical attractiveness to its own hurt. Because you find that often, if somebody's loaded with talent, loaded with charisma, they have leaned on that all their life without ever developing character. And so it's real important that we admire and reward what matters to God. Now, starting in chapter 3, Paul brings dire warnings about a group of folks called the Judaizers. Can you say that with me? Judaizers, the Judaizers. Now, I want you to notice what he says. I I love Paul because Paul told it like it was. He didn't beat around the bush. He said what he was thinking. Look what he says. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, whatever happens. And then he says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, then he says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Well, Paul, that's not very politically correct. You shouldn't call somebody a dog, but he did. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we worship by the Spirit of God, or we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Can you say that with me? We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Now, he's about to go into his lifelong soapbox. Paul's life message was that you were not and are not saved by your own efforts. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Not anything. If you're a billionaire and you give it all away, that doesn't save you. If you never get a traffic ticket, that doesn't save you. If you never curse, that doesn't save you. You can be the best person in your city. That doesn't save you. You will not be saved. 
Now, let me tell you what a Judaizer was, who he's really homing in on here and, and targeting and putting in the crosshairs of his, his righteous anger. A Judaizer was somebody who taught others to adopt the Jewish religion and Jewish cultural practices along with faith in Christ. Judaizers said that you had to do both. You had to keep the law plus believe in Christ. And they mixed it up. All right? Now keep in mind that Paul had been the best of the best of the Jewish Old Testament uh, religious followers. Paul had been the creme de la creme of Old Testament uh, religious law rule keepers. Look what he said about himself. He's given us a little biographical sketch of himself. He said, if anybody thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the uh, people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. I was so zealous for Judaism, I persecuted the church. And we know he killed them. We know he imprisoned them. We know he, he separated families. We know that Paul was dedicated to persecute and make miserable these professors of Christianity, these who had put their faith in Christ. He thought they were of the devil. And as for legalistic righteousness, he says, man, I was faultless. If you want to look at somebody who was keeping the rule of the law, then it was me. I was good at it. I was a good boy. Faultless. But when he found faith in Christ, he was delivered of works righteousness. Now church, this matters tonight. I want us to get this. This became his life's message. You can't read Paul, you can't read the epistles without running across this message. It is best summarized in Ephesians 2.8. Let's read Ephesians 2.8. Look what he says. Read this with me. Saving is all God's idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. Hallelujah. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. See, God did the whole thing so that we can't say in even a, a small sense that we had something to do with our salvation. Now, I want you to understand tonight, church, we had nothing to do with our salvation. It is all by grace. It is all by faith in what Jesus did for us. There's not anything you can do to add to it, not anything you can do to take away from it. Jesus' salvation is a perfect salvation, and when you get saved, you had zero, zip, nada to do with it nothing and that's his message and boy we've got to you know even knowing this how often do we feel like well if i do good then i'm righteous with god you know we're convicted of sin all the time have you ever thought about being convicted of righteousness when was the last time you were convicted i am the righteousness of god in christ We're just real good at feeling bad about sin. How about feeling good about righteousness? Because the blood made us righteous. So, we neither make nor save ourselves. 
God does both the making and God does the saving. And there is nothing we can do to make it better. Now, here's the problem. The Judaizers were running around teaching that it took both faith and works to be saved. They taught you that you had to mix circumcision with faith to experience salvation. Now, circumcision was the sign that God gave to Abraham of his covenant with him. And let's just go back to Genesis 17 and look at it so we can kind of refresh here. Uh, Genesis 17, 10 through 14, here's where circumcision was introduced to the human race uh, by God to Abraham. He says, this is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised from generation to generation. Every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This is why Jesus was circumcised. This applies not only to members of your family, God goes on to say, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. So circumcision was the covenant that God cut with Abraham and his descendants. Now here's what it was. It was a sign of faith toward God. That's what it was. And so when Christ came, this sign was no longer necessary. And not just circumcision, but you couldn't do anything in obedience to the law to make yourself right with God. When Christ came then the, the stipulation or the terms by which we were saved changed. And now we're saved by putting faith in what he did. And that's it. And if you came along and you were teaching in Paul's day that you had to be circumcised and believe in Christ, let me tell you something, Paul saw red. Paul got really angry. I'm about to read to you how angry this made him. Because Paul knew, listen, I worked my whole life long to be righteous by the law. I worked my whole life long to be a good person, to do what God had laid out in the commandments. And when I saw the light, that I didn't have to please God by my actions anymore, but he made me righteous by faith in the shed blood that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, there's nothing I can do to get myself more righteous than what the blood does for me. He says, I got set free. It set me free. Now, I want you to look at what he had to say about these people that were teaching this. Look at this. Uh, he says, when Christ died, he took that entire rule-dominated way of life down with him and left it in the tomb. Praise God. He took the whole notion of having to live according to rules and regulations in order to be right with God, and he left it in his tomb. He goes on and says, now we've been released from the law. Can we read that together? Now we have been released from the law. For we died to it, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Now that is so powerful. He's telling us it's, it's not your actions that save you. 
It is, it is the blood of Christ that saves you. It is the righteousness by faith that saves you. It's the finished work of Jesus that saves you. You can't save yourself. Now look what he wrote. When these Judaizers tried to bring the church back into bondage to the law, Paul went ballistic. If you want to read Paul angry, let's move on and read a little bit. To the Galatians he wrote, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What's the matter with you? Now look what he says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Did you? How did you out here, listening to me right now and those listening by radio, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? By doing things right? By living a right life? When did the Holy Ghost come into your life? Came into your life when you said, Jesus, forgive me. I receive what you did for me. I lean on the finished work of Christ, save my soul. Then he breathed the spirit of life into you. You didn't re receive the Holy Ghost by your own works. You received the Holy Ghost by putting faith in Jesus' works, what he did. So he says, you didn't receive, you foolish, bewitched Galatians. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses. Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? And then he goes on. After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? These people have fallen prey to the Judaizers. And they were saying, oh, we've got to obey the law as well as believe in Christ. Paul said, what are you doing? You've been bewitched. You've been deceived. There's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous. Don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And he says again in chapter 6, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Amen? Now he goes on, Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God then Christ will be of no benefit to you. And circumcision can be a metaphor for anything you try to do to make yourself right with God, other than the blood. Nothing's going to do it. You can come to church seven days a week. It's not going to make you any more righteous. Isn't it so easy as believers for us to still get into a performance religion instead of a resting religion? See, we are to rest in what Jesus has done. But if you're not careful, even you being saved and being filled with the Spirit and going to heaven and having a new man, you can still become trapped in performance. Believing you've got to this and you've got to that. You've got to pray X amount of time. You've got to be at church, although I think you ought to be at church every time the doors open, but that's just me as a pastor. But none of those things make you right. And you've got to get to the place where you say, I'm righteous because of what he did. I don't have to perform to please God. I don't. And this is the trap that Paul had been in all of his life. That's why it made him so mad when people tried to get his churches out of resting in what Jesus had done for them. And I guarantee you, I can point out, if I knew you and walked around with you all week long, I would see, because I know what happens in my own life, I would see all kinds of times when you feel like you've got to perform to keep yourself right with God. But you don't. 
you got to rest in what Jesus did. Look what Paul goes on to say in verse 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is what, everybody? Faith expressing itself in love. Ooh, that's good stuff. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. This is theology. But you've got to have theology. You've got to understand the Bible. Now look at his strongest language in verse 11 and 12. As for the rumor that I continue to preach the ways of circumcision, they were even saying, hey, this is what Paul preaches. He said, as I did in those pre-Damascus road days before I was knocked to the ground by the light from heaven, if you hear that I'm still preaching circumcision, that is absurd. Why would I still be persecuted then? Why would the Pharisees be persecuting me? If I were preaching that old message, nobody would be offended if I mentioned the cross every once in a while. It would be so watered down it wouldn't matter one way or the other. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? I'm just reading to you the Bible. You say, well, what version is that? It's the, either the message or the New Living Translation. He says, these that are preaching circumcision and telling you that you've got to mix works with faith to be saved, he says, I hope the knife slips. Paul said that. It's quiet in here. You see how mad he was about it? Anything that takes away from the work of Jesus Christ made him angry in a righteous way. And it ought to make you angry. Here's the bottom line. Salvation is by faith alone. Will you say that with me? Salvation is by faith alone. It can't be added to and it can't be taken away from. Christianity is not our learning how to behave a certain way in order to be saved. That's not Christianity. That's religion. Christianity is putting our faith in what Jesus has already done. Period. That's when you got the Holy Spirit. So when you and I sin, are you ready for this? Let me just blow your mind a minute here. When you and I sin, we're not repenting to get our salvation back. We're repenting to restore our walk with Christ in relationship. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I don't know what you've been taught. But when God saved you, he saved you for good. These people say, well, you, you can lose it. I say, well, tell me what I would have to go do tonight to lose it. Well, would I have to go cuss? Have to go get drunk? Would I have to go do drugs? Would I have to go kill somebody? What would make me lose it? Well, I don't know, but I just know you can. Okay, really? Listen, I'm about to show you something, so just keep that thought. And don't be mad at me and hang with me. If you disagree with me, love me anyway and come on back to church. But I can't imagine getting it back, losing it, getting it back, losing it, getting it back, losing it. How are you doing this week? This week I'm lost again. Hey, how are you doing this time? Oh, I got saved again. Feel better when I'm saved, feel bad when I'm lost. No, what you do when you sin is you break relationship. So you don't repent to get your salvation back. You repent to get your relationship back. Okay? 
If works can't save you, works can't unsave you. Hello! What is the truth about works? We aren't saved by works, but we're called to works once we're saved. We are God's masterpiece, he wrote in Ephesians 2.10. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good works he planned for us long ago. So you're not saved by works, but you're saved for works. You're not saved by works. You can't be. We saw that. But you're saved for works. For works that he saw you involved in before the worlds existed. Powerful. It's the pride of the flesh to think that you and I can have anything to do with our salvation. That's just pride. Christianity is not a performance religion. It is faith in a person. We don't work to get saved or work to stay saved. We work righteous works because we are saved. Everybody say with me, I am saved. Amen. Good stuff, Pastor Jeff. I'm going to get this CD. I'm going to get this. I'm going to listen to this. You know, some people need to listen to something like this many, many times before it goes from here to here. So Paul says, beware of anybody or anything that takes you away from that simple but crucial truth. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Paul writes, I once thought these things, getting your righteousness from works, were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Everybody say, I'm righteous by the blood, through faith. Now, having said that, I want to share with you in our closing time here tonight on two different kind of truths that you need to get a hold of that will help you grasp what I just shared with you. It's not by works, it's by faith. You're not saved by works, you don't stay saved by works. You don't get unsaved by works. Say with me positional versus experiential truth. Now let me teach you a little bit of Bible here. The New Testament deals with two kinds of truth, positional and experiential. Now let me tell you the difference. Positional truth is what God has done for me. And I'm going to show you some examples. Positional truth is what God has done for me. Here's some examples. And you, what's the next word? He. Now he's telling us something God did for me, for you. And you, he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins. Who made you alive? You. No. God. Your works didn't make you alive. Your works killed you. You were slain by your sin. So again, who made you alive? Preach to me, church. Who made you alive? God did. All right? Let me give you another example. For he raised us from the dead. Did your works raise you from the dead? No. 
How were you raised from the spiritual graveyard of, of sinful death? How were you raised? He raised you. And what he, who did he raise you with? He raised you along with Christ. And then what did he do? Read it with me. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. That's positional truth. You know where you are in the eyes of God? You're in heaven. Seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. That's positional truth. Again, I ask you, did you do that for yourself? Could you have ever done that for yourself? No, he did that for you. So positional truth is what he did for you. All of these things raised from the spiritual dead, seated in heavenly places in Christ, were done by God for you. When you said, Jesus, forgive me, isn't that beautiful? The minute you said, I repent, by the Holy Spirit, you were raised from the spiritual dead. You're like Lazarus coming out of that tomb. You're alive, and he made you alive, okay? Now, that's positional truth. What's experiential truth? Experiential truth is what happens to me in the framework of time. My earthly experience with God. Right now, you're hearing the word in a church service. Your spirit is being built up in the faith. You know what that is? That's your experiential truth. Let me give you some Bible examples. What's experiential truth? What happens to me on earth in time. Right? Let's read one. Quote, For we are right now in this life God's handiwork his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus born anew that we may right now in this life do those good works which God predestined planned beforehand for us that we should walk in them living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live Where are we to live that good life? Right now, on earth, in time. Are you there? So I deal in the arena of two different kinds of truth every day. I wake up, I'm saved. I'm saved because He saved me. I'm not kept saved by my works. I am kept saved by the blood. I am saved. And not only that, every day that I get up, in God's mind, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But then I go pray. Then I get into the Word. Then I go out and I meet life in time and space. And that's my spiritual experience daily. God cares about positional truth, and He cares about experiential truth. He wants you and I to know the difference. Let me, let me parse this a little bit further. The verse we just read is all about experience with God in this lifetime. How many of you have had experience with God today? You had peace. He spoke to you. Uh, he strengthened you. He gave you wisdom. Right now you're having an experience with God. Positional truth looks back to what Christ did for us. Experiential truth looks forward to what Christ is going to do in us. 
Positional truth looks back. It's done. Experiential truth looks forward. It's going to be done. I look back and I say, he saved me. It's done. I look forward. I'm going to be more like Jesus next year than I am right now. That's experiential. Are you with me? So say with me, positional truth looks back. And boy, this is, this is a part of the theology. You've got to get down in your heart. We have got to get to the place where we know what Jesus did. It's done. I'm saved. It's done. I'm redeemed. It's done. I'm delivered from darkness. It's done. I'm in heaven. It's done. I have been born again. It's done. That's positional. Back there, it's done. But experientially, I'm excited about today and tomorrow. I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope on earth in time and space. So there is what's done and there is what's going to be done. Now let me give you a couple of principles here. Positional truth does not change. Say with me, I am saved. I am forgiven. I am seated with Christ. I am a child of God. That doesn't change. That doesn't change. Positional truth doesn't change. It's done. If you want to get into the Greek language, I'll tell you a quick word. A-O-R-I-S-T. Aorist. The aorist tense. It's a verb tense. And here's what it, what it means. When the aorist is used, it's like a judge with a hammer in his hand. When a judge makes a decision, he slams that hammer down and says, here's my judgment. It's done. That's the aorist tense. And every time you're dealing with positional truth, it's in the aorist tense. God says, it's done. It's not going to be taken away from you. It's not going to be taken away from you. Now, experiential truth does change does it not some days you walk in the spirit other days you vacillate back and forth and on some really bad days you in the flesh all day long <laughs> but when you're in the flesh all day long are you lost on that day no you're just in the flesh <laughs> are y'all understanding where i'm going with this you're getting this now Okay. Some days you have victory. Other days you may experience defeat. Usually it's a little bit of salt and pepper, a little bit of both. Experiential truth wears a sign. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. That's experiential truth. Exper experiential truth. That was an experience. Everybody say, praise God. Am I okay now? <sighs> I just got into the flesh for about three seconds. <laughs> right in front of y'all. <laughs> all right. Now, experiential truth says we're all under construction. All in the process of growing. We are experiencing spiritual growth in time and space. And that's truth. Okay. Principle number two, experiential truth does not affect positional truth. Can you read that with me? Experiential truth does not affect 
positional truth. Your child may some days greatly please you. That's pretty rare, but every once in a while they greatly please you. And on other days they greatly disappoint. But they're always your child. You don't run down and disown them in the courthouse. And then when they tell you they're sorry, you run down and take them back in the courthouse. (laughs) Do you? It's the same with God. If you have in your experiential truth a day where you're in the flesh, God doesn't disown you. He'll chasten you as a child, but he doesn't disown you. If you fail God in sin, you're not repenting to get your salvation back, as we've already said. You're repenting to restore your relationship. Because the positional truth is, I'm saved. Principle number three, positional truth is set in theological cement. Experiential truth does not alter positional truth. What God has done for us will remain. Experientially, we're seeking as Christians to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's our experience. And that's what we're, that's what we're believing God for. God wants us to come out of babyhood, infanthood, childhood and put away childish things and don't throw temper tantrums don't wah 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 when you don't get your way don't demand your own way all the time that's what children do life is not all about you that's the way children think he wants us to grow into adulthood that's our experiential truth he wants us to grow in the fruit of the spirit into adulthood and to reach our world with the gospel. Positionally, we're in heaven. Experientially, we're on earth. Now, I want to try something as we close tonight. I'm going to read a verse, then I want you to participate, and I want you to shout out whether it's a positional truth or an experiential truth. And we're going to finish chapter 3 this way. Are you all ready? I'm going to see how well you listened right now. And I've got people posted, marking. No, I'm kidding. All right, let's read it. Here's verse 12. Remember, you were at that time separated, living apart from Christ, excluded from all part in Him, utterly estranged and outlawed from the rights of Israel as a nation, and strangers with no share in the sacred compacts of the Messianic promise, with no knowledge of or right in God's agreements or covenants. And you had no hope. You were in the world without God. Experiential. Give yourselves a hand. That's good. Well, that's just overwhelmingly powerful applause. We're off to a great start. Now let's look. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Positional. Verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. And experiential. Because you have peace right now in time and space, right? All right. Let's try another one. Verse 17. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. It's both. Experiential. They received peace, but it was also something he did for them. Let's try verse 18. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Experiential is what you can do in time and space. On earth, you can come to the Father. Eh. All right, 
Verse 19. So now you Gentiles are, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Amen. Verse 20. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Jesus himself. Positional. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Careful. We're becoming right now on earth a holy temple for the Lord. We're almost done. One more verse. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Experiential. Give yourselves a hand and let's stand up. You say with me, thank God for what he did. And thank God for what he's doing. And what he did is not affected by what I'm doing. Hallelujah. We stand by faith only in the finished work of Christ. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. We thank you that you've saved us, you've redeemed us, you've seated us in heavenly places. You have done these things for us. And Lord, we thank you that now on earth in this brief lifetime, you are working the character of Jesus experientially into us. And we're experiencing daily your grace and your peace and your wisdom and your strength. And we thank you for it, Father. Now, will you pray with me, church, and say, Lord, may my experience on earth be fruitful in keeping with the plan of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.